So I, I completely understand, and I, I cannot blame you if in hearing today's gospel lesson you rolled your eyes when you heard that after Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, quote, the fever left her and she began to serve them. To our ears, this might sound like some bad commercial for a, a cold or flu medicine. Or the, the mother recovers from her illness, she wakes up all spry and lively, only to discover that her husband and kids have destroyed the house, right? God forbid, you were probably saying to yourself, that Jesus and the boys back from their exciting adventures have to make their own Totino's pizza rolls <laughs> and pour their own Sunny D, right? So like I said, I can't, I can't blame you if that line struck you as off. And indeed, not as good news, but rather as the same old bad news for women in the face of, of sexism and patriarchy. I can't blame you. But I'd like to invite us this day to see this text from a little bit of a different perspective. Because the context is subtle, and the Greek is subtle, especially in the light of Mark's gospel. So let me read a couple of those verses again for you. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So first things first, fevers in that time, especially with no antibiotics or ibuprofen or anything else, were serious business. They were no joke. They could be life-threatening. They still can be life-threatening. And I think that we're meant to assume that Simon's mother-in-law is actually in a pretty bad way. I think this is so because there is this sense of urgency in the text right? Jesus is told about her at once. They cannot wait. They have, he has to attend to her immediately. But more than just this, the sense of urgency, there is this interesting description of what Jesus actually does. He takes her by the hand, and he lifts her up lifts her up. It could also be translated as raised, that Jesus raised her up. This word lifted or raised is the exact same word that will be used to describe what God does to Jesus after his death. At the end of Mark's gospel, when Mary Magdalene and the other women come to the tomb to care for Jesus' body, they discover that Jesus is gone. And a young man in a white robe tells them, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has 
been raised. He is not here. And this light, this isn't just a story about a woman getting over a bad cold, but the story of a woman who is getting, who in getting touched by Jesus, then experiences new life, resurrection life. And throughout this gospel, this image of healing as being lifted up or raised up is used again and again when it comes to healing. In Mark's gospel, healing is not just getting better after an illness, but, but rather and more deeply an experience of transformation, of, of new life, of, of resurrection life, breaking into our current life. Here we see Jesus practicing resurrection as he liberates a woman from a menacing and life-threatening illness, restoring her life, raising her up. But there's more, and it has to do with the part of the story that makes us uncomfortable. We are told that after the fever leaves her, she serves them. This word serve, or to serve, is used sparingly throughout Mark's gospel, but every time it's used, it's used with great significance. To get a sense of its meaning, it's the, the word that, that we use uh, that is the root of our word for deacon, which is telling us, telling us something about where it's going, what's going on here. This word to serve is, is used to describe what the, the angels do for Jesus when he is in the wilderness for 40 days after his baptism. There the word is translated as waited, as in the angels waited on him. But surely it is revealing that Peter's mother-in-law and the angels respond to Jesus in the exact same way. But perhaps even more revealing is another usage near the end of the gospel, when Jesus describes the nature of discipleship and his own ministry, Jesus will say to the disciples, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus teaches the disciples that they are not to lord their power over one another, but rather to live in relationships of self-giving and mutual support. And this is so because Jesus is among them as one who serves. The servant is not greater than the master, as Jesus will say elsewhere. The true disciple responds to Jesus' service, to Jesus' own self-giving love with their own service. 
And so all of this goes a long way to saying that far from being just some little example of sexism in the, in the story of Jesus, here we have a small seed sowed at the beginning of the gospel. Here a light is shown on the nature of what it means to follow Jesus. Peter's mother-in-law is touched by Jesus and she experiences new life and transformation. This this new life manifests itself as self-giving. She models Christ's very own life and ministry. We're given here a summary statement of what it looks like to follow Jesus. We're given a look into the nature of discipleship and, and a glimpse of what an authentic and heartfelt response to Christ looks like. Far from being sort of this minor healing, here we have this seemingly insignificant example of what true discipleship looks like. And this woman understands it on a deep level in ways that in Mark's gospel, the disciples never seem to get. They will bumble along, never quite understanding discipleship. But she, in this one little instance, knows, understands, and responds. And since I hope that you've gone this far with me, I think we are not just given a window into discipleship here but rather that discipleship gives us a window into what it means to be a human being. For you see, I believe that discipleship, that that following Jesus will show us that human beings are not discrete or cut off from one another. We are not self-contained egos walled off from one another. No, our individual identities are intimately linked one another. We are what we are because we live in a web of connections and relationships. It is these relationships that make us who we are. Our identities emerge as a response to others, to, to our fellow human beings, and of course, ultimately and necessarily to God. And in this way, we are participatory by nature. In the, in the African theological concept of Ubuntu, I am because you are. And I would contend that this reality is, is woven into the very nature of being. In creation, In the history of the people of Israel, and especially in Christ, God reveals God's self as self-giving love. All of creation is a gift from God. All of our lives are gift from God. Everything, all of it. And in the words of the Collect for the Incarnation, we were wonderfully made and yet even more wonderfully redeemed. And as such, no matter what, for good or for ill, our lives are always lived as a response to God. Each 
And every action is in some way a response to God. And so whether we live into it or not, we were created to model and share the pattern of self-giving love that God reveals to us. And as we do this, as we live into this pattern of self-giving love, this is how and what it means to follow Christ. When we follow Christ, we live into what it means to be truly human. As we follow Christ and give of ourselves and discover ourselves in that self-giving, we become who we were created to be. We become most truly ourselves as we respond to God's love with love for God and love for one another. Jesus came and raised her up. The fever left her, and she served them. Here we are given a little window into the nature of discipleship. Here we are given a little window into our own nature. And here we are given just a glimpse of where our true joy is to be found. Amen.